The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. And welcome in. Late Kick is live Sunday night, August 15th, the year of our Lord, 2021. There's a tick and a tock and a tick and a tock. We are dangerously close to college football being played tonight. We are so jam-packed. I would venture to say it's our most jam-packed show maybe of the year, at least since the national championship game back in January. So we're loaded. Don't know how long we're going to go. There are no mechanisms that stop us. We could just go all night. We could filibuster YouTube if we wanted to. I'm not quite going to do that, but I will tell you this. Speaking of YouTube, uh, I'm always told to make sure to keep thanking you guys every time we get a fresh analytics report on Monday. It's really exciting to see what our numbers are doing on the YouTube channel, on the podcast side, the social channels. So thank you. Always thank you. It's always sincere. And it's nice if you're already in this thing to be a part of basically a dam breaking, which is what a lot of our traffic patterns indicate is happening. So I think we'll explode the show once we get into the season. Thank you for already being a part of it. If you're not, jump on board. Be a part of it. It's free. Nothing costs anything. In fact, this is the way you keep the show free. Follow on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. Sub to this YouTube channel, sub to the Late Kick podcast, and like the videos. And that's about it. We have got a jam-packed show. We've got scrimmage intel from, Colin, I don't know, half a dozen maybe programs, if not a dozen programs tonight. We're going to zoom in on quite a few things. The Eric Gilbert situation at Georgia, going to lead the show with it. The Texas quarterback situation, going to touch on it. Alabama had a big scrimmage. Oregon had a big scrimmage. We had scrimmages at uh, South Carolina, Auburn, all over the place. We're going to go tonight. And there are several announcements happening. There are several injuries to update you on. So if you need a one-stop shop after you've been out all weekend living your life to find out what the very latest is in the world of college football so you sound smart tomorrow morning at work, this is the show for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I told you the other night, if you were ever interested in working at 24-7 Sports to just turn this show on tonight, and so here's what's up. There are some announcements coming very soon. They're not my announcements to make, although one will directly pertain to this show. It's all going to be good. But my point is, there's some things happening. One of my favorite Bruce Hornsby song titles, not a great song, but the title was great. Going to be some changes made. There are going to be some changes made around here for the better. If you got a background in production, if you got a background in video, if you got a background in audio, editing, maybe you fancy yourself a future on-air talent, whatever the case may be, if that interests you, you hit me up in my inbox, joshpate706 at gmail.com. As I said, some things in motion. 
could very well be something you could be a part of down the road. I prefer this kind of call to action instead of just randomly posting job openings somewhere, and that's not the way we do it. That's too conventional. So let's hop into the show tonight, joshpate706 at gmail.com. That's the uh, email address. One more time for those in the back. Where to begin? Boy, oh boy. So all over the place, we had the first weekend of big scrimmages. I'm going to start at Georgia. Georgia had a scrimmage this weekend. I'm going to lead right off the bat with the big attention grabber, something that we last spoke about on Thursday and we didn't really have a lot of clarity. Well, now we do. It turns out that Eric Gilbert, recently transferred to Georgia, is indeed away from the team right now. Now, that's confirmed from Kirby Smart. And so we're going to talk about the ramifications here and the impact and all that. But I just want to clarify something and clarify how on this particular show, I choose to deal with this sort of thing because there's this line in the sand that I won't cross here. It's just my prerogative. Other folks who host other shows can do whatever they want to. But we told you on the Thursday show, our whole approach was going to be to wait until Saturday. And I, I didn't have any concrete info. It's not like I was keeping anything from you, but I did know that if there was something tangible there, it was very much off the field in nature. It turns out it is off the field in nature. So yesterday, Uh, There were a lot of people hitting me up and asking, what do you think now that Kirby Smart has confirmed Eric Gilbert's away from the team? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what I think about the the on-the-field aspect in a second. As far as the -the off-the-field aspect goes, it's our personal philosophy on this show. There's just some stuff that's none of your business, me included, none of our business. If it doesn't pertain to real college football, if it pertains to just everyday life, it's probably not going to get discussed a whole lot here. And especially if you're a kid, and even though these are scholarship football players who are legal adults, in many cases, still view them as kids. It's not the way we cover it here. So if you want dirt and intel on what someone's going through off the field, probably not the show for you. Now, having said that, Eric Gilbert being away from the program, I went on the Dogs 24-7 board last night. I thought an intervention was needed. I tried my best. It turned into chaos, but I tried my best. I would look at it like this. If I were a Georgia fan, and I were to not have really been dialed in for the scrimmage this week, and I just woke up this morning, looked at my phone, and oh, Eric Gilbert's not with the team. I'd ask myself this, before I panic, how did I feel about this team on May 31st? That's the day before Gilbert transferred to Georgia. If I felt excited about our prospects this year, then I'm not going to let this deter my excitement because all that could happen, the absolute worst that could happen is you just revert back to the status you were before Gilbert got there. So it's not great. I'm not sugarcoating anything. I'm just trying to give a little bit different perspective than, well, let's just hop off the nearest cliff. Not smart. Not smart. It's the second week of August. Not smart. So there are two columns here with the Georgia scrimmage. Because there was a lot of negative to take away from this. There was a lot of positive to take away from this. And we're going to hit a lot of schools tonight, so I'm not going to spend any 10-minute portion of the show on one. But there, as is usually the case in the first scrimmage of any fall camp, there are a couple of columns that can be true. Here's what it sounds like for Georgia. Number one, the offensive production, or lack thereof, was very much concerning in this thing. But then also, I would ask you this. What would you have done, if you're a Georgia fan, if you checked that scrimmage report over on Dogs 24-7, for example, and what if Jake Rowe were to have told you the offense, despite not having Kyrus Jackson and Jermaine Burton and Eric Gilbert just lit the defense on fire, what would you be thinking right now? I'm telling you what you'd be thinking. There'd be infinitely more freakout than there is currently because JT Daniels and company struggled to move the ball in front of a bunch of donors, and we have no clue how the scrimmage was structured to begin with. So there are two columns there. Both can be true. Both can be true. How about wide receiver being as banged up as it is for Georgia is a concern. It absolutely is a concern. But then also... I could view it within this context. The plan for guys like, for example, uh, the guys we just mentioned, 
is to have them ready when the season starts, or in a more ideal world, have them ready when they scrimmage again this next weekend. And Kirby Smart spoke about that after the scrimmage, and that's, you know, in a roundabout way what he said. We probably could have played some of these dudes if there was a game today. It's not a game. So let's try and get them healthy as much as we can. But also remember this. A lot of the biggest names in this sport end up shining as young guys because they get a shot in fall camp. A.D. Mitchell being a classic example right now, getting a shot in fall camp, getting innumerable reps coming his way that maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Some guys take it and run. It's not just happening at Georgia. There's several other places. LSU's got a couple of young guys that are making moves right now. I'm going to talk about them a little bit later. That's football. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's, it's, it's not a video game. It's not Xbox. It's real-life football. Thirdly, JT Daniels didn't stand out, didn't drop a bunch of jaws yesterday. I don't mind if you're concerned about that. Uh, I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. But we don't know, again, how that scrimmage was formulated. But I'm not making excuses. I'm going to, again, circle back around to that. But I do believe... And this is the one I say for last. I do believe offensive line is a legitimate problem for this team. I really wondered as we got into the first, second week, first scrimmage of fall camp, was it going to be the secondary? Was it going to be, you know, different injuries, maybe to wide receiver, for example? Or was it going to be offensive line? I think it's offensive line right now. Now, there are two schools of thought here because Kirby Smart stepped to the podium in the postgame in the middle of him talking about amphibians and ambidextrous. He talked about the offensive line. Now, Kirby Smart would lead you to believe, I, I like what we have here. I think we have some guys that we're cross-training right now, but by and large, like I like what we can do. I don't necessarily have that much confidence. I think this is going to be a situation that you have to monitor all year long for Georgia. And right now, Warren Erickson, who was their penciled-in starting center, has missed some time. Now, the welcome, sort of relieving thing that Kirby Smart told you yesterday is, we're going to get him back. We're probably going to get him back this week. So that's the good news. The bad news is his snapping hands, the one that's broken and going to be cast up, at which point he revealed to you he is ambidextrous, but then also told you, I don't think we're going to have him snapping with his non-predominant hand. So it got really specific from an anatomical standpoint. But I say all that to say they're not settled on the offensive line yet, and their biggest challenge will be the first challenge. And so I think we can all put two and two together and realize you know, there are no flawless teams out there. This is one of the flaws for Georgia right now. But the context is always key, always is in life, always is in football. Go back to JT Daniels. Didn't light the world on fire yesterday. Didn't light the world on fire when he played second half of last year. He was a good quarterback. But here's the context. What are your expectations for JT Daniels? Do you, for instance, bet him to be the Heisman Trophy winner this year? He may disappoint you if that's your expectation. Let me tell you what my expectation for him is. I don't think he's going to be the best quarterback in the country. I think he's going to be the best quarterback overall Kirby Smart's had in his time at Georgia. I think he's going to be good enough to win them games. I think he's going to get them in the right pre-snap look. I think he can make checks. I think that he can make the throws he needs to make. I think he's going to be a good enough decision maker. That's the kind of quarterback I think he is. This is not Trevor Lawrence, or at least that's not what I expect. This is not a Mac Jones type production guy. That's not what I expect. And so when I'm listening to what I hear from JT Daniels, guy may have had an off day yesterday for all I know, or maybe he struggled because he was behind an inferior offensive line in that setting and missed several of his weapons. Whatever the case is, though, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment only if your expectations are out of whack with what reality is. So that's what I'll say about JT Daniels. But that theme for the Georgia scrimmage yesterday, offense a step off, defense dominating a majority of the day, that wasn't unique to Georgia. That was the case everywhere. And if you don't believe me, stick around the rest of this show, and I will tell you definitively that's what the theme was. Let me give you a little prediction before we move on. 
This time, next Sunday, we'll be talking about the second scrimmage Georgia's had. Bold prediction here. The headline that we lead with will be Georgia's offense much improved second scrimmage. Write it down. Let's move on. Austin, Texas is where I would like to go next. Oh, boy. So there could be a whole show done on this. The Texas scrimmage is really juicy. There's a lot coming from this, so let's give you the intel we have. Do we have a starting quarterback at Texas? Definitive. No, we do not. We do not have a QB1 here. Now, the ideal world and the idealist in that ideal world would have led you to believe, I think Sark's going to make a decision after that first scrimmage. He's going to manufacture competition so as not to make one guy transfer, but then when we get out of the first scrimmage, then it's rubber meat road time. It's time to go to work. He'll name his quarterback. He can only do that if there is a guy who has emerged. Nobody's emerged. Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, no one stood out yesterday. And it doesn't sound like they're particularly close to making a decision here. I expect this situation to become very touch and go for Steve Sarkeesian and his staff in the not-too-distant future. It's not doom and gloom, but I will spell out for you how this goes because we've seen it happen before if you're not careful. So bookmark that for a second. It does sound like an afternoon to me, based on the feedback, sounds to me like an afternoon where Hudson Card could have been in prime position to take this job by the throat, which is what we talked about at the outset of camp. Is there a guy who can take the job? You can't just be giving it to someone. Someone's got to take it. Casey Thompson, according to reports, Horns 24-7 has this thing covered wall-to-wall, for example. According to reports, Casey Thompson turned the ball over multiple times yesterday. He's supposed to be the more well-rounded, conservative, decision-making guy. He turned the ball over multiple times, which would lead you to believe if I only told you that, oh, Hudson Card must have won this job yesterday. Nope. He didn't seize it. He didn't really do anything to stand out either. He didn't turn the ball over three or four times, but he didn't take the job either. That's probably a scrimmage we'll look back on, maybe, first half of the season and say, boy, I wish that day would have turned out different. But you can't manufacture what's not there. So neither guy steps up, but... I'm not in the stands. Most of the people given the intel aren't themselves in the stands. The question becomes, when that staff gathered to watch that film today, maybe watching it right now for all we know, what did they see? And here's what I really want to know to put a finer point on it. When we start getting practice reports this week, I want to say they may have an open practice this week, but when we start getting those practice reports from Austin, Texas this week, are the reps at quarterback still being divvied up 50-50 with the first team? Because that's the way it's been so far. It's been 50-50. You'll know a lot if you start to see that shift one way or the other. My guess, still pretty evenly split. And my guess is that coaching staff looks and says, we'd love for it to be a different situation. Someone's got to win the job. So let me tell you one of the many challenges of a head coach. Speaking as a guy who's never coached a game, naturally, I am the authority on telling you what it's like to be a head coach. This is one of the biggest challenges as a head coach, though, and it's what Steve Sarkeesian knows is coming, and yet he's still about to have to learn it the hard way. One of the challenges of being a head coach of Texas this year is if a guy doesn't separate at the quarterback position, the choice will never be unanimous. Obviously, what I mean there is you would love for if Casey Thompson turns the ball over three times, you'd love Hudson Carr to just light it up, and then you come out of practice, and not just the coaching staff, but everybody who was on the field, players included, look and say, well, that's our guy. Obviously, that's our guy. That didn't happen. So eventually, you're going to have to choose a guy. If one doesn't emerge himself, you got to send one out there to start against Louisiana, but if it's not unanimous, if it's not definitive, then what you do is you set yourself up in a situation, if you've got a porous offensive line, i got a lot of questions about that unit at Texas, 
and you lack high-level skill and depth at receiver, which I believe describes Texas right now, you could be in a world where neither guy is very well set up to succeed, but the guy you pick is going to be the one who doesn't succeed in overwhelming fashion. And if you win early, things are fine. But with the parameters that we just established in place, chances are whoever starts at Texas could struggle out of the gate. You're playing two losable games back-to-back, Louisiana at Arkansas. Don't think for a second those aren't losable. Texas should win both of them, but they're both losable. And what can happen very quickly is the second that you feel a wheel loose on the car, then people look around and they say, what about the other? Why are we starting this guy? Why not that guy? And unless you can quiet the noise, which will be inevitable outside, fans are going to talk, media is going to talk, unless you can keep that from seeping in your locker room and much more high-profile coaches than Steve Sarkeesian have succumbed to this in the past, you're going to have an internal problem. So you better have either one of two things happening. You better either have a guy that steps up really quick and grabs this job, or you better have a rock-solid culture. And it's hard to have that if you've only been on the job a few months. You just haven't really installed your thumbprint on the program. But I'm very encouraged about what I heard about Texas's defense yesterday. It's not all, like I said, it's not all negative. It's just this is obviously what we're focusing on. I was reading over on Horns 24-7, speak of the website, not the devil, the website. I was reading Mike Roach's uh, scrimmage intel. What did he say? He said there were six drives before the offense got a first down. I mean, that's getting it done defensively. Uh, this is, I mean, this is a, a question mark laden offense. It's not a terrible offense. And so defense really shined. There's always the catch 22, though. The catch 22 is, is our defense, is our defense soaring or is our offense failing miserably? It's a crucial week coming up. There's no two ways to put that. It's a crucial week at Texas, and it's time for someone to take that job. That's what that coaching staff went to bed last night and woke up this morning praying, someone take this job so we don't have to just trot someone out there in week one. Because I, as I just said, think we all know how that probably ends up. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Now we go from Austin over to Tuscaloosa. Alabama held their first scrimmage of fall camp yesterday. Uh, the initial JP poll, which is our own internal power rankings, I don't release it in July because that's, in a word, stupid. I like to rely very heavily on some of the intel that we get 
from people on the ground from fall camp. We're in the process of doing that right now. It won't be too much longer before the JP pulls out. I'm telling you that because I actually thought for a couple of weeks Bama was not going to be our number one team. I'm not going to tell you who I thought was, uh, but it's irrelevant now. Because based on the feedback we've gotten, I feel pretty confident telling you this is going to be our number one preseason team. That's not a national title prediction. It's just I'm telling you if they played the title in week one, I'd pick them to win it. But I strongly suspect Bama's going to be our number one team. Far from a flawless team. Far from it. Not a flawless team anywhere out there. Never is. Uh, But they will have defined vulnerabilities. Again, just like we talked about with Georgia, just like we talked about with Texas, we're going to talk about a number of other programs tonight. But I think, relatively speaking, this is the best team I see to enter the season. As expected yesterday, defense stood out. I expect a quantum leap production-wise from this defense this year. That is echoed by every sentiment you hear from people in Tuscaloosa. Really tough on third down. I mean, they've got the secondary. They've got depth in the secondary. Love the young guys they have, especially a corner. But also, I mean, they've got really, really nightmarish-type matchups. Will Anderson goes without saying, but also Chris Allen playing very, very high-level football right now for them. And he's healthy. And that's an all-caps healthy But it sounds like when they went good on good in yesterday's scrimmage, offense did nada. First-team offense now, Bryce Young included, couldn't do much of anything on third down against that defense. But I'll tell you what's the most exciting thing I heard from Alabama. Trey Sanders, he's been a legitimate force for them and was yesterday too. Now, you may not remember Trey Sanders. Trey Sanders, a couple of years ago, and if you follow recruiting, you remember him. Trey Sanders, a couple of years ago, five-star tailback, number one guy at his position in the country, He chooses Alabama over Georgia, huge recruiting win for Nick Saban, but he misses that year. Then he misses the following year. And you know what happens. Once guys start getting hurt, especially at Alabama, and doubly especially at the tailback position, you just start to assume, right or wrong, they've been recruited over. And not only has Trey Sanders not been recruited over, sounds like he's genuinely back to pre-injury form. And here's the important part. Here's why he's going to get a lot of touches this year if he maintains this trajectory. Not only is he a very good tailback in the classical sense of the position, he also had a touchdown reception yesterday. I think it was over the middle, if I heard correctly. And so he is a guy that they're using a lot in the passing game, too, which is very, very pivotal. It's the same thing you saw him do to a high level with Najee Harris last year. But it's something I've paid attention to with Bama's tailbacks. It's one thing to have a bunch of names there. they got a bunch of high-level names there. But the reason I have circled a guy like Jace McClellan, and the reason, if what we're hearing about Trey Sanders is true, the reason you circle a guy like Trey Sanders is because when they're on the field, you're not really telling a defensive coordinator anything. Uh, that defensive coordinator does not have sheets of tendencies presented to him on Monday that tell him when Trey Sanders is on the field, it's 83-17 run-to-pass ratio. It's not that. Uh, That's a guy who is very versatile out of the backfield pre-injury. Sounds like he's back to that form post-injury. So that's very good. Um, Very, very active in the passing game. So that I know what he is as a runner. As a receiver, that's very good news for them. The questions are relative with Alabama. But if you want to start spotting vulnerability with them, I think their biggest questions happen the closer you get to the ball. Sounds like a recipe for disaster. It's not. I'm telling you, relatively speaking. Now, they had... I want to say uh, Evan Neal, Owens, uh, Kendall Randolph were out for either all or most of this scrimmage yesterday. So, I mean, that's an interior guy. That's both are tackles. So there was a lot of mixing and matching up front on the offensive line. Not exactly sure how much to take away because of that. And I'm not exactly sure that those guys would have missed an actual game. But I'm not sure about their offensive line in general. Again, I want to stress it's a relative sort of deal. I feel very good about their offensive line. 
I don't know, compared to past units, how elite they are, how close they are to meeting that standard. I will tell you, they believe J.C. Latham is eventually going to be a factor this year. Now, that's a true freshman five-star offensive tackle. He got in the rotation some yesterday. They have worked him occasionally with the ones rotationally at practice. If you were to see him slide in there, it would probably end up being at right tackle. He got a fair amount of reps yesterday because Kendall Randolph ended up spraining his ankle. But Randolph's a guy that Nick Saban's spoken very highly of. They've got some options on the offensive line. What I'm telling you is I don't know that their upside uh, matches some of these incredible NFL future first and second round laden offensive linemen they've had in the past, but it may. There's a couple of these guys going in the first round too. The defensive line, though, it's where I'm most interested, not on the edges, but if they get full production from any combination of the Tim Smiths or the DJ Dales or a Boygby or, or Phil Mathis, who's been there for a long time, it's going to be a really, really hard defense to move the ball on. Now, I don't question the secondary is going to be very good. You don't play lockdown defense in today's college football. But as close as you can get to it, I think they can do that in the secondary. It's their ability or lack thereof in the past to defend the run, especially in goal line situations, to stop the run that's been sort of, it's been sort of demoralizing. They haven't always lost games because of it. Most of the time they haven't. Uh, but that's been one area with Alabama. And so I'm, I'm interested with that. I don't know that they got a full read on that yesterday, but I'm very interested watching early in the season how they hold up. If that run defense... Uh, is anywhere remotely close to years past, it's hard to find other weaknesses for them defensively. And you look at the schedule right now, if you're watching on YouTube, they open against Miami, of course. But the, the tests that I look forward to the most is the one at Florida and then obviously the one at Texas A&M because their biggest early tests are not at home. And so I'm adding in that road factor, which figures to be a big-time deal, even for Alabama this year. A lot of those guys have not played in a true road environment, and they're going to get a healthy dose of it in week three and, and week six. So looking forward to that. But listen, I had an email, or I had one of you email me today and say, I've watched every Nick Saban press conference. I don't remember him being in much better a mood after a one scrimmage than this. And I agree. I think he knows he's, he's got another squad. Uh, but they are not without vulnerability either. So from Tuscaloosa, I don't think we can find a direct flight. But let's do it anyway, and let's hop all the way up to the Pacific Northwest. Some of you don't care about Pac-12 football, but I'm telling you, if you care about the national scene of college football, I think you need to start paying attention to Oregon. So, Oregon has their first scrimmage of the fall camp yesterday. Duck Territory is our 24-7 site. They've got wall-to-wall coverage of this if you want to go check it out. But the glaring takeaway when I pulled their scrimmage intel report up was Anthony Brown who is the starting quarterback for Oregon, 5 of 11 in four series, no points. Now, they did some situational work later. I think it improved a little bit. Um, I'm not a big fan of reading that. So Robbie Ashford is a guy that, depending on who you listen to, could be anywhere from the second to fourth best quarterback they have up there. Sounded like he had the better statistical day. You don't know how many reps he had against one defense, two defense, etc. But I have no doubt this is Anthony Brown's job. And the reason I say that is because Mario Cristobal has been perfectly clear that this is Anthony Brown's job. But I think it's time we start watching Ty Thompson a little bit closer, not in week one or week two, but I'm, I'm very curious how much we're going to be able to utilize, if we're Oregon, how much we're going to be able to utilize the full extent of the weaponry we have on this team. Because I am not being overly hyperbolic when I tell you this is as good a group of talented wide receivers and running backs and tight ends even as I've seen them have maybe ever. 
And you ask yourself, I don't want to use waste because that's not the right word, but for lack of a better word, are we going to see some of that go to waste because we don't have the trigger man at quarterback to make it all happen? And so that's a concern I have. Granted, it's through one scrimmage. So we'll take it for what it is through one scrimmage. But if they smother teams defensively, this is a non-issue. But if, in their, if they're in some games where they have to trade points, which I think they very well may be, and you got all those wideouts out there, and their tight ends are ridiculously talented, they may have one of, if not the best, running back combos in college football. And we look at the schedule here. I mean, if they're playing Cal or they're playing at UCLA later in the seasons where the majority of their conference test comes, but if they're playing those teams, man, and they, and they can't put up more than 24, 26 points on the board, and trust me, this offense should be doing a lot more than that, you start to question things. So again... Keep in mind what I just said as we move on later in the season. You got the Ohio State game in week two, but it's later in the season where a lot of their bigger conference tests come. Now, this is really good news. The running back situation, very good news. Because of what we're talking about here, potentially being somewhat limited in incorporating fully the wide receiver unit for lack of the ability to at the quarterback situation, C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye, again, if you're living in the South or you're living in the Big Ten, Those aren't two names that are just right there on the middle of your radar. This is an insanely talented running back duo. And when you put both of them together, they check all the boxes. Uh, The between the tackles, the different sizes, the different skill sets, the ability to receive out of the backfield, pass pro, they got it all. And so they've got a couple of guys here that if I were to put them, let's say, in Florida Gator uniforms, the whole country would probably be talking about them. Because it's Oregon, they're tucked away in the Pac-12 a little bit, I don't think everyone has their eye on them. Those two are about as good as it gets in the country. And so early on, if the passing game's not there, these are guys that you can ride. And I know some of you, I think this is the way it works in college football a lot of times in general. When you get a very established impression of a team in your mind to the degree that Chip Kelly did it when he used to be at Oregon, you never shake it. And so when you think Oregon tailback, you think 5'11", 170, a lot more shifty, run around you instead of run through you. That's that's not this. Uh, these guys these guys could suit up in any conference in America and more than hold their own on any kind of preseason all-conference award list. So they've got that. Now, I don't question that. They've got that. But I wonder if there's going to come a time this year, depending on how the season starts to play out, if Mario Cristobal and his staff look at each other and say, it's just time to let our horses run. I'm talking about the young guys. You got a guy like Justin Flo or all those young receivers. They got three freshman receivers they think are as good as anyone who's walked in the door up there. They got Ty Thompson, true freshman quarterback, has a ceiling that could deliver on being about as good as anyone they've had walk in the door there. Now, he's not there right now, but I wonder if there's going to come a time this year where they look around and say, I don't for sure know what we're going to get out of these guys if we put them on the field. But I know the upside is a lot better than what we have on the field right now. And if we're going to ultimately accomplish what we want to with this team, these cats are going to have to play. I don't care that they're 18 years old. They have more upside than the guys we have on the field. Now, that sounds a little Xboxy. I know that. Because those young guys have to put the decision on the table. you got to at least be performing consistently enough. You have to at least have shown that coaching staff that not only can you do it right, you rep enough to where you don't do it wrong very often or else they can't make the decision. You have to make it close. And so I guess it's a two-parter. Are those guys going to make that decision possible? And then is that coaching staff going to pull the trigger? That's going to be a fun team to watch, though. That Oregon team is going to be a fun team to watch. That's a team with a ceiling that's just – it's higher than just able to do some cool stuff in the Pac-12. 
All right, moving on, let's go to LSU. Heard some things that were encouraging from Baton Rouge this weekend. They had their first scrimmage. I, I know there were a lot of big fears. When Ed Orgeron brought in two new coordinators, obviously the fear coming off of a season like last year is there just won't be any cohesiveness. We won't have our act together. We will not have improved a lot, and whatever these new coordinators bring, it just doesn't stick. I think it's pretty safe to say we can set those fears aside. Heard plenty enough good things on both sides of the ball to indicate that, at the very least, the roots have started to take here. So now we find out how big a tree we can grow, and now we dive in a little bit. Sounds like from yesterday's feedback, at least, Max Johnson had a pretty good day. Garrett Nussmeyer did some really good things. Probably had better numbers, probably in a lot more favorable situation as a quarterback. LSU loves their depth and their skill at wide receiver, and I don't think it's all the guys that you would see listed as starters when you flip open your favorite preview magazine. And I go over to Go 24-7 today, and I was reading Sonny Ship's day after scrimmage intel, and he started to mention that as well. He started to talk about a couple of guys, Brian Thomas and Malik Neighbors. Those are two young names. Most of you don't know them if you're outside of Baton Rouge. But those are guys who are making moves on incumbents right now. That's one of the most fun things to watch in fall camp when you've got those all-caps guys, which means they're returning players, and then you got the lowercase guys, which mean they're true freshmen, and then you start to see them creeping, creeping, creeping. There is no rule that says you've got to wait your turn. There is no rule that tells Brian Thomas or Malik Neighbors, oh, you're a good player, you got some skill, but pat you on the head, we'll see you next year as a sophomore. I think they're going to play this year. They may end up locking down starting jobs before the year's over because those guys are playing far too well to be ignored. And so that's one of the really good pieces of feedback early from LSU. There are differing schools of thought on this offensive line. This LSU offensive line is not going to be a Joe Amore award winner this year. Joe Amore is what I just said almost. So if I'm going to clip this later, I need to say it right. I don't think this LSU offensive line has the potential to be the best in the country. Joe Moore Award, et cetera. Uh, But what I do think is there are some differing schools of thought, and I'm not nailed down on either one of them yet. There's one school of thought that would say, from let's say the coaching staff's point of view, we have five or six, seven, eight, well past five guys that we feel confident we can put on the field. Now you notice the trepidation in my voice as I say that, because I think it's very guarded, because at the same time, I think the staff knows they're looking around and they're not really seeing any All-Americans scattered across either the one or two deep, but they know they got guys we can put out there. It's better than just throwing warm bodies out there, but it's somewhere in between the warm body and the future All-American, serviceable. That's what they're looking at, serviceable. And so there are going to be some weak links on this offensive line, even if they're healthy. Dare Rosenthal's out at left tackle, probably the only true left tackle kind they had. Now, it's not going to be a blind side. They got a left-handed quarterback starting this year. But at the same time, I think that's a unit that stands to potentially be exposed at times. It's a weakness. It's a flaw. What have we talked about this whole show? There is no flawless team. I just spelled it out with Alabama, spelled it out with Texas. I'll spell it out with Ohio State later this week. This is not a year where we're entering the season where you have a bunch of all-world, elite, flawless teams out there. That's never the case, but it's especially not the case this year. You can win a championship with flaws on your team this year. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So this doesn't rule LSU out of anything. Now, having said that, uh, they got a long way to go. They certainly have a long way to go, but there's no flawless team out there. And so yesterday, defense shined. Seems like it shined all over the country. But yesterday... 
LSU secondary and their defense overall, their one defense played very well. I think Allie Gay had a very good day. But in the secondary, they were without Derek Stingley. They were without Eli Ricks. They were without McLaughlin, I don't think played yesterday. Uh, those are three big-time, big-time defensive backs for LSU. All of them uh, could do something in the way of awards, semifinalists, finalists at the end of the year. They got that kind of upside. None of them played yesterday. The thinking is all of them will be back well before the season starts. They'll probably all suit up against UCLA. But the key here for LSU is now and is going to be buy time so you can keep developing. Because if you look at LSU's schedule, it's a little bit different. They don't dive into the deep end like Georgia does, for example. Now, they're going to play a tough game on the road to start the year, but I think we can all agree there are tougher draws if you're going to go on the road than going to the Rose Bowl and playing UCLA. But look at how it lines up, or listen, if you're on podcast. They go to UCLA, favored in that game. They play McNeese at home. They play Central Michigan at home. Then they go to Mississippi State. So after week one, the next truly losable game that you have is week four, and still it's at Mississippi State. The meat of the conference schedule hasn't arrived yet. Then you get Auburn at home. Then you go to Kentucky, and then it's go time. You got Florida. You got Ole Miss. You got Bama. You got A&M at the end of the season. The point being... The run game is paramount right now. Davis Price, I don't think, played yesterday. Emory did some decent things. If they can ride the running game, and I'm not totally sure they can yet. They're hopeful. Not totally sure they can. If they can ride that running game, and then they can start to bring some of those young receivers along, and they don't have a catastrophic, disastrous start on the offensive line that ends up you know, minus three, minus four turnovers in a game, and they have a freak upset, by the time they get to that game against Florida, we'll know what kind of team LSU has. They will be favored in every game until then. They've got the pieces on this team to be undefeated until then. They've got the pieces on this team to be undefeated when they go into Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. They also got enough legitimate concern where they could be a multi-loss team by the time they go play Alabama. The most fun team to watch, the most high-variance team in America this year, the LSU Tigers. So not everyone scrimmaged this weekend. Now, Auburn did. I'm going to talk about them in a second. Not everyone scrimmaged. Some people practiced. Some folks are going to have midweek scrimmages. But there were some other big-time takeaways happening today and elsewhere around the country. So some other camp whispers and intel. Start at Notre Dame. Jack Cohn is indeed your starting quarterback. Now, this was about as shocking as cold weather in International Falls, Minnesota in December. But nevertheless, Brian Kelly makes it known Jack Cohn is the starter. So what happened? Well, of course, immediately what happened is he got questioned. Now, I want you to keep in mind. A lot of the people who are questioning Brian Kelly, he has a coaching career longer than they've been alive, and he made the decision after one and a half weeks of camp. I want everyone to understand what we're talking about here. you got a guy who specializes in offense and quarterback development and evaluation, who saw fit after one and a half weeks of camp to make the decision. What that means is it wasn't particularly close. So I get someone in my inbox yesterday, paraphrasing. Why would he not go with the younger choice? He'd have the same record, but he'd have better potential upside. I have no clue how to even respond to that. So I didn't. I just moved on. He'd have the same record. This is a Notre Dame team that has a stretch in their season this year where they play six teams out of a seven-game stretch coming off bye weeks. A lot of those point spreads are going to be single digit. A lot of this team's season is going to hinge on one possession one way or the other. You're high. You're high if you think that you can plug-and-play quarterbacks here and you'd get the same record either way. Again, it's pure Xbox mentality. It's just pure fantasy. It's in another universe 
Brian Kelly made the right call. He made the only call. Jack Cohn's going to be the guy, and they're going to be a very good team this year. Like I just said, even with Jack Cohn, it's going to be a razor-thin margin for error. It's going to be one possession here or there. They're going to have to grind out games, and hopefully, you know, those younger quarterbacks, Tyler Buckner is a guy who everyone's excited about. I was talking to an evaluator this week who said, I'm still not even sure about Tyler Buckner. I know what the upside is, but I'm not so sure that we got a full chance to evaluate the kid coming out of high school because he didn't play his senior year. And so point is, remains to be seen, but for the here and now, uh, because that's what the coaching staff coaches for, the here and now, it's Jack Cohn's job. Luke Doty at South Carolina looked like we had terrible news Saturday. I mean, it looked like Luke Doty was out for the year. And it turns out that he's not out for the year. He's just out for an extended period of time. The initial fear was he had broken his foot. Someone stepped on him, I think, in the Friday practice. And so the initial fear was he just fractured it, he had broken it. So then Shane Beamer uh, steps to the podium more recently and says, nope, thank the good Lord above, it is not something that's going to keep him out the whole year. It's only a sprain, and we actually think we could get him back for week one. Now, Luke Doty's questionable right now, but that's huge news for them because they had already had terrible news with the defensive back transferring out. And so they're already going to have to score a ton of points to keep up in some of these games. Much harder to do that when your projected starting quarterback is down and out with a foot injury. At Oklahoma, I want to spend a couple of minutes on this. I remember on National Signing Day, we were at this desk, and Steve Wolfong and I were talking about the elite depth. That's the key to Oklahoma's surge in many people's minds, mine included. As a legitimate national championship contender, it's the depth. And they've got elite depth. Not just on offense, they got it on defense too. Three names that I want you to pay attention to right now. Perfect case study on the depth that they're building. Name number one, Clayton Smith. Talked about him a lot on National Signing Day. 6'4", 220-pound true freshman. This is the kind of guy who has an incredible skill set. Now, he is relatively raw compared to some of the other more veteran guys they have on that roster. But my point is, there was a time not too long ago where this guy would come in and start on talent alone because Oklahoma wouldn't have the defensive depth to keep him off the field. They would have had to have played him. Clayton Smith is currently running, what, third? And the question currently with him is, I wonder if the light will flip on this year. If it doesn't, that's fine. We'll put him in some blowout games and we'll get him some reps, but they don't need him this year. It would be nice to have him. They don't need him to step up and play an integral role to their Big 12 title hopes and college football playoff hopes. Name number two, Ethan Downs. Same deal here. 6'4", 240, true freshman, having a great camp, very much pushing for a backup job behind Isaiah Thomas. But notice what I just said again, pushing for a backup job. This, Ethan Downs, Clayton Smith for that matter, five, six years ago, they're starting. No question in my mind, they are being pressed into starting duty for Oklahoma. And now you got Clayton Smith holding down a three spot with room to move up. And you got Ethan Downs fighting with Reggie Grimes for that backup spot behind Isaiah Thomas. But the one to pay most attention to, that you probably will because it's quarterback, uh, Caleb Williams is having a phenomenal camp for them. This was our number one quarterback in this last recruiting cycle. He has done nothing to disappoint. He's come into a program where the preseason Heisman Trophy favorite resides at the QB1 position, and he has made a ton of noise. Not to push for the starting job, per se, But he's having the kind of camp that if he walked in and Spencer Rattler didn't exist, you as an Oklahoma fan would end up saying, I feel totally comfortable with Caleb Williams. I know he's a true freshman. I know he's never started a game. But coaching staff feels good about him. Locker room feels good about him. 
He's a grinder. He's a worker. He's totally wired the right way mentally. He's got all the physical tools, good decision maker, going to only improve over time. I feel good about him. That's the kind of guy you're going to have on your bench this year. But also, as we have learned, you know, having a good backup quarterback, you, you have no clue what's going to happen this year. You have no clue if Spencer Rattler is going to be all that we hope he is. But even if he is, you don't know what in the world the injury bug is going to deal with you. But Oklahoma is one of off the top of my head, I mean, not knowing what Ohio State's quarterback depth chart is going to end up looking like, this is one of very few teams this year that could afford to have a quarterback miss a series or miss a quarter or miss a half or a game and possibly roll merrily along. You're looking at Oklahoma's schedule right now. I mean, it's, 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 an, interesting, it's an interesting draw they have because on one hand, you're going to say, oh, they should win every game. But at the same time, they got a trip to Kansas State. They're looking to go, well, looking to avoid going 0 for 3 the last three years against them. Right before they play Texas, right after that, they got TCU, which is not going to be an easy out. And that's a team who can put some points up on you. So I'm saying the reason why I believe in Oklahoma is because Oklahoma has built some depth now that you've not seen them have before. I know some of you are in the I got to see it before I believe it camp, which there's no skill in doing, by the way. Uh, but you have at it. You live your life. I am a believer before I have seen it. And by it, I mean high-level defensive play from Oklahoma. Up the road a bit in Iowa, where my people reside, specifically Ames, we have spoken about this once before. This is going to be a preseason top 10 team at Iowa State. I'll ask you again. Do we believe there is an area or multiple areas on this team that they are capable of significantly upgrading Because Michael Swain over there the other day, he works for our Iowa State site with 24-7 Sports. He found one. He found one. I think it's a solid one, too. If you remember watching the Big 12 championship game, Iowa State loses 27-21. Had bad turnover. I'm not going to call it luck. It's execution on Oklahoma's part. But they were minus two or three turnovers. But one of the hidden yardage factors that really set them up for a loss, along with the turnovers, was they gave up a couple of big uh, kickoff returns, 86 combined yards against Oklahoma. They gave up one against Kansas. No one really cared about that, but it cost them. And it's been a massive point of emphasis for that coaching staff, which you can afford to do when your whole team returns. You're not installing a whole bunch of new stuff. They have made a place to premium rather on kick return covers. They can't kick touchbacks. They got to figure out something. And that's what they've invested a lot of time in. Now that may sound like the most boring practice Intel report that you've ever had, it could mean the difference in two games this year. They went 9-3 and three last year. They weren't 12-1. and one. They went 9-3. and three. They lost three games. One was a conference championship game, but they lost three games. Could literally be the difference in whether they're on the fringes of playoff contention and just a nice little story that could lock down another New Year's Six Bowl. And lastly, the Auburn Tigers had a scrimmage yesterday. Now, there's a lot new going on at Auburn, obviously. Brian Harson's in there from Boise State. His staff's in there. And he's got a kind of eclectic mixture of some foreigners to the SEC and some natives to the SEC, but they're trying to have this offense, in a lot of cases, completely reprogrammed. I mean, they're doing something way different than Gus Malzahn did. All the while, they're trying to win eight or nine games this year. So defense is where it needs to be. That was my biggest takeaway from reading and talking to people close to Auburn. Derek Mason's got a defense they can win with. And that may sound like it's an every-year deal for Auburn. You can't take that stuff for granted, especially with the kind of players they've lost the last two years. You can't take that for granted. But everyone wants to know about quarterback. Bo Nix was Bo Nix yesterday. And by that, I don't mean it pejor- pejoratively necessarily. I just mean he had some good and some bad. Had some wow plays, turned the ball over multiple times. Now, unlike a lot of people who I've already seen draw the conclusion here, uh, I know this is going to sound 
it's going to sound very mundane and very war eagle-ish. I'm going to hold off for the time being making a definitive conclusion on what I think Bo Nix is going to be under this new coaching staff. Just all I ask of you is let me wait one more scrimmage or maybe even one or two games into the season. You know, Akron and Alabama State give you the ability to do that. I'm going to wait a little while longer before I make any kind of definitive call on where Bo Nix is going to be as a quarterback under this new regime. So that was a lot of what happened over the weekend. Now, there was a lot that we could not fit into the show tonight, both in terms of practice intel and whispers, but also I had an entire segment that I really wanted to do on this whole alliance versus the SEC deal, which is not a pro wrestling angle. It's actually a real life thing that's happening in college football. Having said that, though, we kind of get a little heads up that there may be some traction there this week. You know, so in other words, if you got a Tuesday show, which we do, you may want to hold off until Tuesday. Maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something. So I'm going to talk about that Tuesday night. If you have missed it, we've gone to three nights per week, by the way, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. So really good show tonight. This is the way that we like to do every show during camp. And when we get into the season, I mean, we're cutting off well under an hour tonight. These shows will spill well over an hour. When we're actually talking about games that just happened yesterday, well over an hour. We have got some things coming up in the way of grand season previews this week. Going to do it a little bit differently than we have in the last couple of years, even back when we were independent down in Columbus. These are some of our most popular features, though. We're adding some wrinkles to, I think, make them more popular. But they're not all going to be on the YouTube channel. Make sure you're following Twitter, Instagram, at Josh, And the one other thing, I always wait to the end of the show so that only the hardcores are watching. When you share our stuff on Instagram in that story, or you share it on Twitter, make sure you're tagging me. Great marketing. It's free. It's actually you working for us, and it is, um, it's a, it's a one-size-fits-all. It, all, it always helps. So thank you so much for that. All right, we got to get out of here. For Director Colin, our entire crew down in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.